Welcome to the Unschooling the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Tasha Fishman, and welcome and thank you for listening. So today I'm going to be talking about how to unschool children with disabilities. Now I have three sons of my own. None of them do have disabilities, but I can speak to this topic and it's near and dear to my heart because I actually spent 10 years working with families who had children with disabilities. And this is kind of the prelude to my story and my spiritual awakening in 2020. It's so wild because I literally went to school, my background is in psychology, and I was trained at the agency that I worked for to use cognitive behavioral therapies to make children more compliant for their parents and the system, the system. And that was in my early 20s, if you can imagine. I didn't have kids, and I'm going in and telling parents and how to raise them, but literally more like trying to help them train their kids so that they can fit into the system. Now, I thought I was doing the best that I could. It's the only knowledge that I knew. That's what I was trained to do. And certainly, there's a lot of tactics that we use that had some great results, but really at what cost? I mean, when I look back now, it's just absurd. And of course, when I had my spiritual awakening in 2020 with all of the nonsense with the public health mandates and Schmovid, it was easy for me to identify that they wanted to vaccinate the planet. And in my experience over that decade, I met some amazing families who felt that their children were vaccine injured and that they were being gaslighted by the system. Now, at the time, I didn't have much to add because I didn't really understand what the system was or what it meant, but it gave me enough knowledge and intuition to really study vaccines in my early 30s when I got pregnant and make a decision for me and my family not to go that route. So it's not that I was anti-vax or I needed to sit on a soapbox and tell anybody. Quite frankly, I never thought I'd be speaking about this publicly at all. I kind of like to hide under the radar because even back then in my early 30s, I could feel from the schools and the hospitals um, and any doctor visits that we had, the resistance to me choosing not to vaccinate and to use homeopathic nosodes. And it was strong. I mean, there were many times that I left those offices in tears calling my mom and saying like, this is so difficult and the fear that they would instill in me about what would happen and what I'm doing to others. But something inside of me said, no, they're going to be okay. And it was from meeting these families that literally said, you know, their kids were thriving, beautiful, happy kids. And after their vaccination, they were never the same. And so I had the privilege of working with children who were on the autistic spectrum from full-blown autism where they couldn't communicate with the outside world all the way to Asperger's where they were highly intelligent and able to communicate, but they had big difficulties with social cues, picking up social nuances and social norms, which made it very difficult for them, especially in the preteen years, teenage years, to make friendships, which as we know is so important in those times and those years. So it's actually quite heartbreaking, this um, specific disability, which I believe um, has a lot to do with 
the toxic poisons that are bestowed upon us from birth. And, you know, it's like I said, it's not something I thought I would speak about publicly. But what's even more wild is here I was in my 20s thinking that I knew something, you know, nervous the first few families that I would visit. But I would see the absolute terror and fear that they had of their child not fitting in or the panic or they didn't know how or what to do. They were just at their wits end. And so I would come in with these strategies and they would work and you would think, okay, well, this is great. I mean, this works, you know, they're hopeful, but I didn't understand that they were serving a system in order for the system to exist and to work and to thrive. It had nothing to do with the individual needs of the child, quite like the classroom. It has nothing to do with the individual needs of the kid. For example, when they tell us that our kids need to learn how to read in grade one and they put the pressure on, um, they got to know, they got to do this, you got to do the phonics, you got to do the books. That has nothing to do with the child. That has everything to do with the system so that they can ram down the curriculum and the teacher can keep the entire class at the same pace. And, you know, from the outside looking in, that makes reasonable sense. If you're looking like a fish in water at the system as a whole, and you're not seeing any problem with it, of course, yeah, let's put that pressure on the parents to get the kids to read. And that's what we need to do. And we as parents go running around and, you know, feel all this angst about it. And really, when you understand that the system is corrupt and it's designed to create reflexive, obedient followers, and when you realize who are the fundamental players in creating this system, it's really easy to see that it's all nonsense. So back to how do we unschool a child with a disability? So like I said, this is near and dear to my heart because I understand um, the vulnerabilities of these kids, really. And I also understand now how the government needs us to stay sick, weak, and dependent in order for us to be more controllable. And that is actually their aim. And they put on a facade that they're this benevolent entity that's here to help, to keep us safe. And it couldn't be further from the truth. So these little ones, these ones with disabilities, they need our help more than anyone. They, they need to be protected more than anyone because the most vulnerable are always the easiest targets. For instance, when I started working with this agency, you know, I learned all about the history of people and children with disabilities. I worked with some of them who were just let go in the 1980s. There was a huge closure of institutions. And so all of these people and some of them who grew up since the age of two years old in these institutions were let out into the streets. And these agencies who got government funding were there to be support workers or to be involved in their life somehow and integrate them into the community. Well, that was really difficult because you can imagine you're 48 years old and you've lived your entire life in an institution and now you're out in the world. This is how a lot of disabled people end up homeless and ended up homeless at that time. But it spurred a big spark with a bunch of different people. And usually it would be the siblings of people with disabilities and they would come together at the kitchen table and they would create an NGO, some kind of nonprofit organization. They would get funding and then that would birth a new agency that would help people with disabilities. And now it's a multi-billion dollar industry. So if you look back in history, though, the government, the Holocaust, most totalitarian regimes 
always went after the disabled. Lobotomies were first practiced on the disabled. You know, there was horrendous abuses that went on in those institutions. And my very first client was one such gentleman who uh, spent his entire life in an institution and would tell me horrific stories. Now, that might not necessarily be going on today, but as we look deeper into it and we look into the connection between autism and transgenderism, maybe it is still going on today. So this is really a multi-billion dollar industry and I call it the labeling industry. So back in the day when I was an outreach worker, there were many times that I would go into the school to do observations. These children would have IPPs, which is an individualized personal program, and that would spark funding for the school. Funding for the school would mean that they could hire and they could, the government would pay for them to have educational assistance in the class speech pathologists, occupational therapists, and on and on. And as you can see, it was an endless barrage of medical and pharmaceutical help, right? More kids are being diagnosed with ADHD, ODD, COD than any other time in history. ODD being oppositional defiance disorder, right? I mean, you can't have a non-compliant child in the school system. They'll disrupt the entire structure. So we should medicate them, right? And that's what's been going on for decades. But who does this really serve? So it's not the child that needs to be diagnosed. It's the system. It's the environment. Why are we not questioning the environment that these kids are in? that these kids are not thriving in, that they're sitting six, seven hours a day in a seat, having to pay attention to the perceived authority figure, you know, that they have to put their hand up to go to the bathroom. They have no autonomy. They have no boundaries. Their interests don't matter. They have to learn what is ever is being served and that's it. And I think when we think about human rights and freedoms children are really on the bottom of the totem pole we don't really think about children having freedom and rights in school school is just you know it's automatic i didn't even question it with my own kids that there was a choice it was like hey if you're going to become a productive member of society well then you need to go to school that's what everybody does i mean i'm certainly not qualified to teach you anything past the age of five and this is all that mentality of the system, right? The system which raised me, which raised you, which it seems as though humanity as a collective is waking up from. We're waking up to this abusive relationship that we've been in with our government, with the education system, with the medical system. And it seems that we are coming to some kind of age of awareness here and big major shifts are happening. So this multi-billion dollar system that is dependent on the child and their diagnoses and their labeling is very lucrative. So why would they want to end that? I mean, you know, what's crazy. It used to be like one in 10,000 kids would have autism or be on the spectrum. And now it's one in 20 and people still don't blink an eye. 
nobody's questioning anything because the program is, is that there's no correlation between vaccines and autism, no correlation at all. And anybody who asks, anybody who questions anything is crazy or a conspiracy theorist. But luckily today, millions, if not billions of people are actually looking at this industry and they are taking a new, fresh perspective on these vaccines because of Shmovid. And I want to share with you, I was listening to a book the other day and they were talking about Carl Jung, who I did study in university. And I didn't know this, but when he figured out what the unconscious mind was, it was because he hated school. So he hated school and every day he would walk to school. And one day he actually fell and hit his head. And something happened within him where he said, oh, I won't be able to go to school today. This is great. And from there, he started to have uncontrollable fainting, fainting spells. And it was the first time that he made the correlation between the unconscious mind and an unconscious thought about how he was able to manifest physical symptoms because of a thought that was so powerful that he hated school so much. He hated the bullying. He was very bored, all of the things that he created something in his subconscious mind and some kind of programming to stop him from having to go. How many kids do that today? How many kids does that happen to today? I mean, think about it. They're sitting in these schools. I had a friend who was telling me how she is now volunteering at the school one day a week with her kids. And that she said, I just can't believe these LED lights that are just shining on us so brightly all day. And she said she could overhear a teacher talking to another teacher, some new EA that had come in. And she said, don't worry about it. It gets better in the afternoon when their meds kick in. I don't know if you guys saw, but I did do an interview with um, a teacher who left the system recently and took her kids to homeschool them and was talking about how horrific it was. And of course, this isn't all teachers, right? But it's some teachers and you really don't know who you get, do you? So, you know, there was a bunch of teachers talking because parents weren't compliant or the kids weren't complying, let's say with the mask mandate or the social distancing and they were struggling. And these kids are trying to tell us that they can't breathe and they don't want to wear a mask. And, you know, the teachers are all talking like how disrespectful these parents are, how disrespectful these children are and just treating them with, um, you know, uh, such judgment and vitriol. And really, if you think about it, it has nothing to do with freedom. It has everything to do with compliance. They weren't obedient, right? They weren't obedient. And that is the main goal of school. When we understand the Rockefellers, the JP Morgans, the Rothschilds, all of these ruling class elite families came together at one time to create this system that would benefit industry and business. You know, I was sharing with somebody the other day that Mencken in 1928, the guy who created standardized testing uh, was talking about how they had to make sure that there weren't too many chiefs more than Indians. 
you know, if people understood what testing was really for, they would never get their kids tested. They wouldn't participate in any of this garbage if they understood what it does. And so when it comes to unschooling children with disabilities, it's just such a no brainer to me. When people ask me, I'm like, they should be home with you more than anyone. These kids need protection. They need protection. So let's just talk about why today they might need protection. Cause you might be saying to yourself, well, no, I just love our EA. I just love our, our teacher or the school that we go to. We have to look at a bird's eye view about the rising number of children who have neurological disorders and um, autism, just the sheer numbers, the rise in childhood vaccines, and the fact that there is a disproportionate number of autistic youth who are now identifying as trans. They are saying that people who identify as the opposite sex are three to six times more likely to be autistic. That's an incredible piece of data. So if we take a bird's eye view, it's like, hmm, we have these vulnerable kids who are hurt in some fashion, neurologically, and they want to call it a cool world, like neurodivergent and whatever spectrum, but there's something wrong, right? That's it's, it's painful. I've, I've worked with these families. I've worked with these kids. This is not like, oh, you know, I'm, I've got another label. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud and I'm autistic. Yes, of course, we're all proud of being who we are, but these children are hurt. These children have been hurt and had some damage and no one in society, except for those who have like gone missing, have actually made the correlation. Right. And I think as a human collective, we're starting to catch on here. We're starting to connect the dots that there might be a correlation between the medical system and the rising number of our children being harmed neurologically, just like the Schmovid and all of these people being harmed neurologically, if not dead, right? So this has been going on for a really long time. We know the government needs to needs us to stay sick, weak, and dependent to control us. So what not a better result than going after the kids and that starting off that way and then introducing this social contagion called transgenderism, this bold-faced, unscientific, predatory lie that there's more than two genders and throwing it out there and pumping it into the schools. Now the daycares, I don't know if you guys saw that, but one of the daycares in Ontario, Kitchener to be exact, I think it's called Rising Owl. It's got the Black Lives Matter, the LGBTQ trans stuff, everything, all the flags, all of the books, worm loves worm. You know, Janie can be John. And they serve two and a half to four-year-olds. Now, interestingly enough, this particular daycare just got the subsidy from the government for the $10 day a day daycare. So not only do government schools pump in the curriculum and the programming and the sex activists because they funnel and open the spigot of the money to, to government schools, public schools, and even private schools who take 50% of it from the government, but now they're going after daycares, 
right? They're going after daycares, making daycares dependent on them. So you want the money, you push the propaganda and younger and younger this goes. Why? And so if three to six times more likely to be autistic, these transgender kids, you've already got kids who are on the fringe that have issues with social cues, social norms, fitting in, being friends. And now, wow, they see that they can be part of this club that can like keep that a secret that they might think that there's something else, that there's true happiness if they chemically castrate their body parts. But they can be celebrated at school now. They can be loved and have free pizza at lunch hour and be accepted finally. This is what's going on with children with disabilities. This is dear to my heart. And when I say this, I say this with a sense of urgency. Get them out. Get them out. Because you have to ask yourself, what is the cost of leaving them in? You know, it's one thing to have, let's say, just a regular girl or boy. And I have met a few and I've spoken with their families who, when the child came home and said, I think that I'm this, now this has happened in the States, the parents made a bold move, pulled them out of school, took away their phone and social media, went off to a retreat somewhere with them, loved them back to life and was able to turn things around which is illegal to do in this country in Canada right now. And if y'all don't see something wrong with that, I can't help you. But I'm sure if you're listening to this, you understand the magnitude of Bill C-4, which, by the way, conservatives, liberals, and NDP all voted together, walked across the floor and hugged each other as they took away parental rights and led, like legislatively. It's absolutely insane what's going on. This government also runs the school systems and it is being used as a weapon to indoctrinate our kids against parents. So the cost of a regular girl or boy being in there and deciding that they're trans or that you're a bigot or you're a transphobe or you're a racist because your values don't align with the propaganda they're getting fed you lose your child. That's how you lose your child, right? What is the cost of that? Can you do what some of these parents have done? Or will you go to jail? Like some of the parents like in BC that spent 69 days in jail because he didn't want his 12 year old girl daughter to go on puberty blockers. What is the cost of keeping them in? Now you have a child with a disability and you think, oh, I have to send them to school. I have to. That's where they get all their support, their IPP. They get all the help. It's all free, right? We have free, we have free healthcare, free education. Well, I hate to break it to you, but nothing's free. And the devil's in the details. So I was one of those people back in my 20s, just working with the system, working as I'd been trained, not thinking anything differently, just doing what I was told to do, thinking that I'm doing a good job, right? Coercing children or using timeouts. And I'm not saying some of you're all going to freak out and say timeouts work. Well, I beg to differ that there are other ways, but there are ways that 
don't work for the system to have you raise your child. You know, it, it doesn't benefit the system for us to raise free, critical thinking children who even question our own motives and behavior. It doesn't benefit the system to raise children who question authority, right? So instead of questioning and labeling the environment in the system, we label these children and we send them off onto a pharmaceutical track of hell and no return. A label with free funding, with all the meds you can get. So when you think about this social contagion and transgender movement that is being funded by billionaire technocrats, old men like Jennifer Prichter, who now have decided that they're women sending millions and billions of dollars like George Soros to these NGOs and schools and universities to push this agenda. You realize that this has actually been going on for a long time. This method of slow dripping society and pushing them and socially engineering them into a certain way. You know, when I look back, the feminism movement, you know, I was, when I was in university being a feminist. That was a good thing. You should be a feminist. Yeah. Feminist, not even fully understanding what it meant. Right. And I'm not saying women shouldn't work outside the home. I'm not saying that there aren't women that are co completely solely financially responsible for their families, but I'm saying that there's been attack on the family unit for decades. All this entire idea of this globalization, getting the kids, get moving people into the cities off of the farms, away from the generational wisdom to be hand down to one another, having the kids go to university in other states and other countries, raising their families over there. Then the pressure of two families, two parents working so busy, increasing taxes, increasing childhood vaccinations. Now you have a child with a disability. Nobody has time to have a loving, nurturing marriage to hold that family together, right? So when something like Shmovid, the global psyop, the big con comes down, everybody's all spread out. There's no more family clan, right? This is this war, fifth generational warfare. The number one thing to fifth generational warfare is to make us not know where it's coming from or that it's happening at all. And boy, is it working. So really, I don't have much to say other than my own experience and to say that if I had a child with a disability in the system, I would pull them out. If I had regular children, I would pull them out. And people are stuck on, number one, they'll say, I can't, I have to work, I have um, this to do, I have that to do. Listen, if I told you that a school shooter was coming to the school in the next six months, but I didn't know what day, would you ever send your kid back there again? If I was a psychic and I said that to you, would you risk another day because it could potentially be that day. That's the magnitude of the war that we're in and what we're dealing with. And it's really not, not that hard to see. It's all the information's there. If people want to see well, one good place to start, it's my website, tashfishman.com in free resource section, take a deep dive for yourself. Because what I'm saying is not something I want you to believe. 
and this is why I started this unschooling the mind. It's really for you to start questioning things and unpacking beliefs, myths, and programming that you may have that are standing in your way from a real clear reality of A, what's going on and B, what to do about it. It's for you to find out because truth cannot be told. It has to be discovered. And it's the same thing with this. And I feel very blessed today to have gone through that experience and to have had, um, you know, the advantage and the pleasure of working with the families that bestowed such wisdom on me that I didn't know I'd be using in the future. You know, I appreciate the warnings that they gave me and the stories that they shared. And when I look back, I, you know, I cry for them because I understand now what they were facing. You know, we're in a time now where there's millions of us who are awake and aware to what's going on. And you can cling on to any of those people or thought leaders, organizations, movements, and you don't feel alone. But back then, you know, in the early 2000s, it, um, it was still extremely taboo to talk about, you know, questioning vaccines questioning the root of autism. So in my opinion, you know, society is only as good as it's most vulnerable, where their most vulnerable are taken care of. If they're taken care of they're elderly, you know, there's been an attack on the male, the male psyche for decades, also the female, but the male too, like, where are all the men? Now I'm not saying there's not some great men out there. There certainly is that are taking the lead. But have you seen how many people show up to a football game or a hockey game or sit in bars? Wouldn't it be great if some of those men could come out and I don't know, help us get some of these politicians in jail, you know, do something about it, organize themselves or get just as worked up about a game about the thievery that's going on right now. So it seems to me a lot that it's the women that are leading the charge and we're waiting for the men to wake up and maybe something's going to happen here. Maybe it'll be finances and it will trigger um, an awakening for the men, but the men have been attacked, you know, and they've been attacked, been attacked by the females too, you know, disempowering them. It is the birthright of males to be leaders, to stand, to be providers and protectors for the most vulnerable, the weak, the women, the children, the elderly. It is their birthright. This is what they're here to do. And we have all as a society in a human collective been duped and slowly slow dripped and mind controlled into apathy, compliance, ignorance, and literally poisoning ourselves by our own hand. And that's why I can't get into when people say, well, it's the war and it's the Jews and it's the this and it's the that. No, 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 no. This is evil versus the good humans of the world. And it lurks and it has infiltrated in every area. The medical system, the educational system, the government, the media, every race, every religion, every gender. We have to be able to teach our kids how to see a, a sheep in wolf's clothing. But you know, that's not going to happen by them sitting in public school. 
Now, if you can't get your kids out of school because you have an ex that doesn't agree or you're just in a certain situation right now, but you want to, or your kids are old enough that they don't want to leave and potentially they've handed over their authority already, they've been in the system so long, then all you can do is work on yourself. All you can do is help them and give them the eyes to see the eyes to discern what's real and what's not having those hard conversations with your kids, exposing them to new information, telling them that you don't base their value on grades or anything that, you know, the government is saying and telling them that you don't believe in the fact that there's 73 pronouns and mixed bathrooms and all of the crazy rapid fire ways that they are attacking us and the family right now. Speak with them. Obviously age appropriate. I'm actually going to be sharing a kid's book that I just got sent to me from an author about, um, you know, the letter M about the alphabet, the letter M who cut off its ends and didn't want to be an M anymore. And then uh, how unhappy the letter M was and he couldn't fit in with the alphabet after that. And so anyway, there's some amazing stuff happening with some new artists and people getting new information out there to counterbalance all of the propaganda that has been being stuffed down our throats, which is really sad if you think about it, because, you know, Listen, I've, I always say this. I love my gay friends. I always have. It's not about this, but this community has been hijacked by the same evil that I'm talking about that lurks at the top of all of these systems. And that's what fifth generational warfare is about. So yeah, so I don't have any tips other than when you do bring your child home, if you choose to. And you feel overwhelmed by that because potentially you felt like that was your break where your child could be socialized and you got a break because it's, it's taxing and it's not the same as having regular children. I get all of that. But how do they learn? Children learn best being surrounded in a loving environment by a parent who's present and ready to facilitate that learning when they are ready. It's the same with a child with a disability. They have interests, they have desires, they have plans, they have things that they wanna try. So when you're talking about, well, you know, I need that break and I need that time, this is where we call on community. This is where courage and bravery is nece necessary. And we create something. We find four or five other like-minded families in the same situation. Everybody takes the kid for one kids for one day a week while the other parents can work until we figure out a better solution. That's one way of doing, that's just one way. We can call upon family, those of us who have family. Yes, you may have to downsize your house. Yes, you may have to quit your job. Yes, you might have to work from home. Yes, you might have to completely radically change your life. But what other option is there but to empower ourselves to do so because it's gonna change. This, this stuff is just beginning. And I don't say that to fear monger. I say that because I intuitively know. 
I have got my mission papers. I know why I'm here on this planet. I understand the life that I've had and lived and how it's prepared me for today in these times. And it's no different than you. And if you feel the calling, answer it. If you feel your intuition saying something isn't right, I don't know what it is though, follow it. That's all I can say. Do not let loved ones deter you. Do not let outside influences other than loved ones deter you. If you are a parent of a child or a child with a disability, and this is something that you were thinking about mulling about, and you have gotten all the way to this podcast and your kids are still in school, do whatever you can. Do not be persuaded by outside forces. You as the parent have a direct connection and frequency to your child and your child's environment. It's your God-given right, your sovereign right, the rights that the government is trying to tell us that we don't have. You are the guardian. You are the guardian of this little one, of this big one, whoever is in your care. So act accordingly. So with that, I am going to say goodbye. I hope that was helpful to some of you. And I definitely love sharing that story. And it brings back memories for me. And I'm so grateful for all of the experience that I've had today to be able to share some of that insight. And, you know, I can't believe how different life has taken a turn for me in what I advocate for today after I've unschooled my own mind, and I continue to do so, trust me, it's a constant process. But as I continue to do so, I realize that everything I was trained, everything I learned in school was all for naught, and I want all my money back. Anyway, until next time, everyone, I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.